Hello everyone, welcome to Queer Sounds. My name is Hannah, my pronouns are they, them. Queer Sounds is a podcast on queer folks' favorite tunes. And by the time this is out, um, there is some exciting news I want to share with you. We're doing our first live show um, on Saturday the 19th of September at the, at the Dutch Podcast Festival. Tickets are available both digitally and in very limited amounts. Uh, you can be there in person, podcastfestival.nl for more info. Uh, so yeah, very excited to be part of that. What else is there to plug? All right, yeah, of course, here's my reminder to visit my Patreon, patreon.com slash sounds if you haven't already. But without further ado, my guest for today, it's my first guest with a Wikipedia page. Um, <laughs> Hello, how are you? <laughs> I'm good, how are you? I'm wonderful, thank you. Uh, first guest with the Wikipedia page, yay! <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a milestone, isn't it? Um, a fun claim to fame. Uh, just so our listeners won't have to read the Wikipedia page themselves, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit? So my name is and I am a cultural architect, a development practitioner who happens to also be a bit of a, an international uh, performing artist who also works in human rights work. So I consider myself a cultural architect and an artivist. I use different modes of art to, um, as a medium and as tools towards getting people to understand things that are very nuanced about human rights, about social justice, but using art because, of course, art is a thing that uh, transcends everything regardless of cultures and languages. And I perform under the name Kat Kai Kolkes, which is a lot of a, it's, it's a bit of a tongue twister for a lot of people, but uh, yeah, it's Kat Kai Kolkes, it's four Ks, not three. And I'm also a published uh, queer theory scholar and poet and playwright. So we yeah. can have a lot to talk about today. We've, we've got a whole <laughs> bunch to unpack there. So I've got so many stuff written down, like you went to uni largely, uh, well, mostly in South Africa, I, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I, you caught yeah. a, like a global shaper for the World Economic Forum. You explained all of the artifice stuff. Uh, what's the what's the other thing? A outright region fellow for the UN? What, what, there are so many, so many things. Yeah, so I did my um, honours degree in dramatic arts at Wits University in Johannesburg, South Africa. And uh, I got my master's degree in human rights, culture and social justice from global, from um, Goldsmiths University of London, which I went to as the recipient of a Shevening scholarship. You did mention that I'm a global shaper under the World Economic Forum. Uh, so I'm part of the Khaborone Hub and currently serving as the vice curator of that. In 2016, I'd 2015 into 2016, I'd actually served as the first openly trans-identifying um, curator of a hub in the world for the global shaper. So it was really quite a, an honor to be able to do that. And also as a global shaper coming from the African continent, which for the most part, people would have expected the first uh, trans-identifying curator to have been elected in any other hub except for an African hub. Yeah, that must have, how did people react? 
as global shapers, we are already uh, people ready to um, change the world and practice full and true inclusion. So it had it was it was well received within the global shapers community. It was almost as if uh, it it mattered, but it wasn't expected to be an obstacle. Right. So for those people who needed to have their teaching moments to really understand um, what it meant to say, you know, we're in the space when everybody says ladies and gentlemen, and we start introducing gender neutral language of saying, how's about we just say everyone again from a, a decolonial space, which is a, a school of thought that I practice in as well. Um, Setswana is a gender neutral language. So when we say everyone, when we're greeting a group of people, we greet all the people rather than uh, splitting them into men and women. So um, that was also part of being able to weave in different cultural uh, practices that assist in inclusion in such a space. Just very short in between, did you already mention your pronouns in case uh, the listener's wondering? Um, yeah, so my pronouns are she, her, they, them, and primarily just cat. I always right. say to people, if you can't call me anything, call me by my name. All right, we'll get into all uh, aspects surrounding your queer identity later on. Um, yeah. What I did want to ask you, like um, um, you becoming like a global um, global shaper, did it feel revolutionary in a way that a uh, white queer global shaper wouldn't have been revolutionary? I don't, on a personal level, I don't think I considered um, being the first. I think that was the, the primary thing was I just was happy to have been acknowledged firstly by the Global Shapers Hub in Khaburuni as somebody who deserved to occupy that space mm -hmm. and could sit with my peers. And then following that to be entrusted with uh, being able to guide the hub and the the work that we do within the country um, and represent us at not only in Geneva for when we had a, a meeting at the World Economic Forum, but then following that to be called on by the World Economic Forum to speak at the World Economic Forum on Africa alongside in Rwanda, um, alongside heads of state and um, people who are in like big, big, big business. And to be platformed, you know, not to be seen as, oh, yes, this is the token young person from Africa, but right. to be seen as the contributing scholar that I am, to be seen as somebody who's a practitioner who's making um, actual change on the ground was always, it's always been a thing to say, I'm, I know that I'm not getting any of this because I'm trans identifying, but I understand that for a lot of people... <laughs> this is potentially the first time that they're getting to see um, someone who is defined in a way that a lot of the time when we talk about trans-identifying folk or even queer folk, we try and reduce people to who they're attracted to and who they sleep with, as opposed to looking at um, their sexuality or gender or sexual orientation as just a, a facet of this greater thing that they are. Uh, so it was, it's really quite been an interesting experience to say that not, yes, I'm blazing the trail as a trans identifying global shaper who happens to be brown skinned, but for all intents and purposes, 
I'm blazing a trail for all the queer folks. And we've seen, I've seen over the years, more and more and more um, work being done within the Global Shapers community. This year, we had our very first Shape Pride, which was endorsed by the Global Shapers um, team at the headquarters in the World Economic Forum, which when I was in Geneva in 2016, seemed like a thing that wouldn't happen too soon. Uh, so we've made substantial uh, progress. And I think it's it's in being able to belong to such a community of people who are all about what change do we need to see in the world and how do we ensure that we're not making change that is exclusive, that I've been able to share space and be held and be held accountable for everything that I want to do. This conversation is already flying by. Uh, ten minutes in, we haven't played a single track yet. So <laughs> let's... Um, let's get on with that. Um, I know last episode we also had a Whitney Houston track, but who am I to say no to this one? Wanna dance with somebody? There we go. Dance with somebody who loves me, Whitney Houston, um, released in 1987 off of the album Whitney. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, let me. I'm not going to ramble on for too long on this one. Why did you? Why did you decide to play this one, Cat? So, Whitney Houston is one of those um, voices that has always been as been part of my life. And I think I grew up hearing her without recognizing that 
there was this mega mega um star that was called Whitney Houston and uh, my father who was a guitarist and a mathematician um among other things <laughs> had a um he loved music my mom also loves music and there was a point where i got a keyboard and when i got the keyboard it came with a songbook with the chords for um i want to dance with somebody and needless to say i didn't i did play along a bit but i focused more on the singing end than on the playing the instrument and right. um so as a result also i've been you know classically trained as a singer for so many years that when it came time to constantly check how my voice was doing the music of Whitney Houston was a good uh, gym to go to you know Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey were how i worked out my voice um so this song funnily enough is one of those karaoke tricks that i pull <laughs> i always say to people you know how much time i've set aside for karaoke based on when i pull out the whitney houston song and if i only have one song to sing it will be i want to dance with somebody in whitney houston's key with all of the vocal acrobatics that happen in there <laughs> um just so people don't think oh yeah you do karaoke for fun i'm like no no i don't do karaoke for fun when i do karaoke it's a concert <laughs> so <laughs> this is usually my show stopper when it comes to karaoke but also because it's got such a a long um history of what it means in my life that it's 1987 was the year before i was right. born i'm really 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 all about um 80s power music you will realize it the more i start talking um <laughs> but similarly when i did uh, when i was working on my debut ep with my musical project called chasing jacob funnily enough jacob is my dad's name so chasing jacob is about you know living up to this legacy right, of yeah. excellence when i put together the ep for chasing jacob which is called bongo country i really wanted to go back to that uh audio aesthetic of me sitting with my Casio keyboard and just plunking away chords and having your very very powerful bass and just a driving rhythm underneath right. all of it and that's what uh, that's the kind of music that I grew up with uh, among other things I can hardly, with jazz and stuff I can hardly keep up with you because I th- when you said either i'm not paying enough attention and i missed where you started playing piano or i just kind of got lost there because you th- i thought you said your father was a guitarist so i assumed you'd be one as well i would have played guitar but, <laughs> but it never uh, popped up as a thing that i we wanted me to do and also because you know um i had so many other things i was already doing uh i never felt as though i needed to play guitar Right. Thankfully I still have the guitar. Um should I choose to pick it up again I or should I choose to pick it up? I already have the the instrument ready and waiting for me. So what was the the overall musical vibe in your childhood uh, childhood household? Oh, it was everything. Um it's it was jazz, it was uh pop music, it was 
my mom goes to church, but it's not, it, I didn't grow up with a lot of, you know, gospel music playing in the house. Right. So the music, like, you know, what would be considered gospel music was really something that I listened to when we were at church. Um, and then later on in the, in, in my growing up years, so between the ages of about eight and 11 was then when there was a, a type of gospel that was uh, what we play in the car as we went on road trips along with Whitney Houston and, um, you know, with uh, Phil Collins. I absolutely love Phil Collins's music. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, did you see did you see that LT video John. of the two kids reacting to Phil Collins for the first time? You know, I've I've resisted watching that video because it really hurts me when things like I I, I lose faith in people's parents when <laughs> when I see such videos because it also it baffles me. But I also understand that you know we've got a generation of people who now no longer have to hear music because other people are playing it. They listen to music because they want to play it. So when, right. for me growing up, I never would have opted to listen to jazz music or, you know, so, but the sounds of Earl Clue's guitar are sounds that I love and being able to unpack how he works with the music and learn the musicality so that you're not just listening to, you know, eight bars four bars, eight bars, four bars, and repeat, 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 which is the pop formula. Right. Whereas if you've got that jazz exposure, you know that music can be more than just formulaic. So yeah, these the, the kids who are not really getting that much exposure to the legends of music, to a time when lyrics mattered, <laughs> to a time where instruments were were things that weren't just there to fill space. Instruments were a form of voice and communication as well. Um, I wish I could do a full immersive music history lesson through the <laughs> the ages for a lot of my friends' children, just so just in case they are not raising their children to love music. I would totally do it as um, my duty as their aunt well that but on the other end of that it's the most fun to discover it yourselves right it's not necessarily that uh in my case for example i remember that as, as soon as my dad got his first laptop it was um i was being put in charge of it like all right i've got all of my cds here you go digitalized a lot and and without any context i started listening to stuff like phil collins a super tramp like that and just because I didn't get any particular education on that front, it was it was such an exciting little treasure hunt. Um, mm. And and the same thing goes with other stuff. Like there's stuff that I started to listen to in a way. Like it took me until this year, twenty twenty, for me to actually appreciate classical music. Is too broad a broad a broader word, but like I start I actively started listening to symphonies this year. Me being twenty six years old, and I'm not necessarily sure if that's early or late considering the grander scheme of things but i do find it very exciting to just go about and explore you see and that's the thing so you got it at the age of 26 i was doing interpretive interpretive dance in class at the age of six and seven to the magic flute and <laughs> the sounds of tchaikovsky <laughs> 
in a, the obscure second city of Botswana. So, you know, and, and that's the thing. I Because I was dancing to the magic flute at the age of six and seven, that the beauty of the violin, the beauty of the flute um, were things that I started knowing could happen in sound. Timpani were, were I love the timpani. I played marimbas when I turned, started playing marimbas when I got to, I think the age of 10. And before that, I'd never played an instrument like the marimbas. I'd only ever played um, the recorder, but not just, you know, Mary had a little lamb all the way up to being in the recorder choir and reading um, the music of the classical greats. So again, it's this very wonderful (laughs) intertwined relationship that I've had with music, which has been, it's never been a a thing of know this type, this kind of music and then sometime find out about the others. It's always kind of been a this modge podge um, existence where, depending on how I was feeling, I knew that there was a universe of music that was available, regardless of where the artist came from. Do you remember like the first pop or or um, any song really that you that you listened to? Like, what is your actual first song that you remember? I don't. No. <laughs> All right. Let I've me rephrase the question. Far too many songs. I've listened to far too many songs to to trust what I think might be my first memory. I'll go with your gut. It doesn't have to be a hundred percent factual. It was. It's probably a Whitney Houston song. All right. Yeah, to be fair. honest. Yeah. Was it also like the first artist that you actively fell in love with, or like that you actively started listening to yourself? I. You see, Whitney and Mariah in terms of pop were were at the the front of where i wanted to to listen to music again because their the the lyrics in their songs were lyrics that you wanted to listen to right and then of course along with them was uh luther vandross who again oh, the right. you know a song like stop for love is just maybe love it's just it's beautiful it's one of those songs where you you cannot you can't start the song and then stop it at a point you know that you need to listen to it from beginning to end and if somebody interrupts you you start it again (laughs) (laughs) you say that just singing that one line and leaving the rest of us hanging well you need to go and listen to it i am not luther um oh and i think i think i might i might actually be able i'm not sure if anita baker's sweet love was the very first song that I kind of fell in love with. But it sits in there with uh, with the Whitney's and the Mariah's and the Luther's. All right. Let's um, dive into some more music to listen to. Do I'm you need help t- pronouncing this, the title of this song? Um, no. I'm, well, maybe, but I'm going to try it. Um, <laughs> yes. All right. Yes, I've 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 tried to look it up. Um, also, you know, it's pretty. It's it's it gets repeated in there. But I'm rambling. Let's actually listen to it. <laughs> Oh, 
Artist this week, Alsara and the Nubatones. Um, a artist, if I'm not mistaken, from Sudan, but currently based in East Coast US. I'm very excited when I heard this artist. Like I'm, you know, I want to listen to more music like this because it's nice and groovy and funky and all that kind of stuff. But it always kind of slips through the cracks, and I stick to what I know, and it's never picked up mm. by my Spotify algorithm. And so, the, I hope. For me, as well as for a lot of others, this will be a gateway into more um, music like this. So, um, this artist, I've tried looking about a little bit, um, but I couldn't find too much about them. So, what exactly mm-hmm. is a queer about Elsara? Well, I mean, Elsara is a queer artist. Yeah, I figured, but and, I, you know, yeah, yeah. It, um, I, for example, I couldn't find if if if. if what her pronouns were if she was cis or not or you know yeah i think this is this is also the beautiful thing about uh, when i was tasked with finding and um, when you tasked me with picking you know who my favorite queer artist is right yeah there's a there's a thing with with the, the positioning of queer artists for the most part is always a thing of um how much must we there's a verification process that sometimes people impose on queer folk who are in the public space in that there must be as much public availability about themselves prior to them being able to occupy the space of you know queer community and i love that uh, when alsara and i met we met in tanzania actually in arusha when i was speaking at ted global and uh Alsara was there performing at TED Global. So one of the weird, wonderful things is uh, I'm Botswana's, I'm currently Botswana's only TED Fellow um, in history. So that's also... Right, yeah. It's, 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 it's those little moments where it I reel at the the beauty that and the warmth that the world has embraced me with, you know. And when I met Alsara, it was almost an energy love at first meeting and we spent our time in um arusha sort of bouncing off each other and i just recently reconnected with um her and her the band in philadelphia two years ago and most recently in december when i was in new york doing some work as part of the outright um fellowship with the united nations she was she'd just come back from tour and so we were 
in New York at the same time for the first time in a very long time. And I got to see her perform the song live. And if you watch videos of the song, uh, of her performing the song, they she talks about this Nubian myth where she claims mermaids as a Nubian myth. And I think the, the magic of that story, but also the magic of her sound and the magic of her as a person goes way more um, further than... Uh, being able to or necessarily defining her as you know as a femme lesbian person or just a queer person or bisexual or pansexual um yes of course that's a thing that applies to every queer artist like at some at some point in your career you have to decide all right are you going to use this as a marketing tool or not yeah and i think that's a beautiful thing is with alsara with an artist like jojo abbott as well who was in there in terms of you know the selection um of artists that I, w- I wanted to put in here. Jojo Abbott is an amazing musician. If you haven't heard Jojo, please listen to Jojo Abbott. And part of the conversation that you and I had before was around this notion of world music, you know, right, and yeah. uh, as somebody who comes from Botswana, getting exposed to music that isn't from Botswana the first point of contact is usually in um, Kwasa Kwasa music, which comes from the like Congo, Democratic Republic of Congo space, which is dance. It's a form of dance music. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a lot of, there's a culture of listening to that music in Botswana and musicians from Botswana making Kwasa Kwasa music. Um, but beyond that, getting to polyrhythmic sounds like the sounds of Alsara and the Nubatones, getting to polyrhythmic sounds like one of my favorite bands, um, which is Tinariwen. They are amazing, amazing, amazing. And I, <laughs> I love being able to, to hear the intricacies in music. And they give you such easy, yet so intricate sound that you can't help but be... In, inspired to want to either create that or get as many people to listen to it as possible moving on to your own queer experiences um what was like a a soundtrack of of you first coming to terms with you know yourself living your truth we so (laughs) it's taken numerous forms it's taken multiple forms again you know i think that part of the the way that dysphoria can, kind of plays out is it's not always the the doom and gloom, right? So right. again, back to Whitney Houston and Mariah mm-hmm. Carey, one of my favorite musical memories as a child was that I don't I I'm not gonna be ageist, <laughs> but um back when you know we played music off cassettes and you could, if you pressed the play and record button, you could record the songs off the radio. So right, yeah. readily having, readily having thing, music that, um, music that you wanted to listen to that was played on the radio, and being able to afford it was not a thing. So at times we would, that was our version of pirating, was to listen to the <laughs> to certain radio stations at and listen to certain shows and press 
record so that you could have those songs with you. And on one day when I was listening to the song, one of the Mariah Carey songs on a cassette that I had, which was an original Mariah Carey cassette, I accidentally recorded myself over into Mariah Carey's song, um, which I still consider my first ever, <laughs> you know, um, musical collaboration recording situation. <laughs> sure. Roll with it. Um, but the, you know, if you, if you think of the register and the, the voices of Whitney Houston, and Mariah Carey back then, that was being able to hit those top notes um, was just, again, gender affirming or not necessarily anything to say, oh, because I can do this, I am not. But it was because I can do this, I'm able to um, embrace a certain part of myself that wouldn't otherwise be um, expected. Right. And so moving from from that, my very first, my own personal one that I owned cassette was... Uh, Britney Spears, right. uh, Baby One More Time, the cassette, Classic. the album. My mom and I had driven uh, to Bulawayo in Zimbabwe, and uh, I had gotten, we. it was a, a shopping trip, and I remember quite clearly seeing the Britney Spears cassette, and the only other time I'd seen it, it seen Britney Spears in, in that sort of way was... <laughs> on television. So I thought to myself, and I'm not going to be able to get this in, in Botswana because again, we didn't really have that kind of pop music in at the mo at that time. Right. And yeah. so I begged my mother and she said, yes. And so we, uh, we bought the Britney Spears cassette and I listened to it all the way from Bulawayo to Francistown. Um, which again was part of my, this, this young person who was, hearing songs that still sit in the pop space but are you drive me crazy i just can't sleep i'm so excited i'm in too deep oh crazy but it feels so right <laughs> baby thinking of you keeps me up all night you know what what is more poetic than that <laughs> and uh, then of course there's the years where um being emo was yes. a form of self-expression and the poeticism of some of the the bands that came out. Uh, now we're getting into my territory again. Is is really just you know it's it's amazing. I had the fortune of watching um, Three Doors Down when I was still living in London. Oh wow! And to see them and hear them live with all of the musicality, to sing here without you, um, and be able to remember a time when those words were sort of a desperate clinging to self to say, you know, here I am and I might be, what does it look to, like to mourn yourself, even though you're still alive? Um, and that sort of poeticism in sound was what carried me through those years. And Fall Out Boy really, really, really influenced um, my teen, my late teenage years. Green Day influenced my mid-teenage uh -huh. years. Um and so my, my queer existence and my queer identity has really been fed by multiple artists who were able to just serve the purpose of giving me lyrics and music that said, if you need a way to express your emotions and you're not quite sure how, let me be the conduit. Right. I mean, with everything that's 
that can be said about all of the artists just mentioned, for example, like Feeders Down playing at the inauguration of a certain president and um, what else have you, the misogynist lyrics of early 2000s, mid-2000s pop punk. I definitely resonate with all of the all of the things that you say there because, oh my God, like the emo aesthetic of, it, of itself. Like I should have known that like I, at the when when I went through my emo phase, I definitely didn't have the vocabulary yet to mm-hmm. to uh, to know to be aware of my own queerness. But goddamn, if that androgyny wasn't a thing, like in hindsight, with the knowledge I have now, that should have been like alarm bells should have been ringing at that point in time. Um. Yeah, and I mean a song like. I'm not okay by my chemical romance, you know, as much as it was a pop song in terms of, you know, (laughs) it being in the pop music space, it was, it was again, like just a a chance to be running in a field and just be like, I'm really not okay. Like I'm just, and I'm not happy with this world, but I'm not going to like not be here because, Hey, guess what? I, I still have um, a spring in my step and I still want to, to rule this whole world. And if I'm not going to rule it, let's set it on fire and dance in the flames. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a thing that uh, I believe we talked about the other day as well. Like, um, I went to see this um, this this artist called Cheway, who actually also has a song that's called "No, I'm Not Okay." And you know, he comes from a rap background, but like the way he uses like same three chord power structure pop punk type of energy, like I just kind of love that that people who are just starting out making music are really getting back into um, all of that, all of the emo vibes. And I am here for it. Um, I'm here for it too. <laughs> um, let's get into some more music, shall we? Um, you said you had two possible options here. One of them being Jenna Jackson and the other one being, um, Nobody's side from chess musical because I feel yes. like we could go with go with either one. So I would, as I said, so with uh, with nobody's side from chess again. If you listen to the poetry of that song, Tim Rice did a great job um, of writing the lyrics to the musical chess while co-writing the lyrics to the the musical of chess. And I love ABBA again really really amazing 80s power music but with Jan Jackson she's my queen I got to see her live um and Miss You Much is just one of those songs that um is it's a precious song and I would love for the listeners to (laughs) hear how much I miss the greatness of the world sorry there ready press play on it That was not my intention. I thought the audio leveling was better. Anyway, Janet Jackson, miss you so much.
Miss You Much, Janet Jackson released. I want to say 89. Um, I think it was 89. Yeah. I would like to confirm that it was released in 1989. <laughs> you just, I, I heard you clicking away there, so you probably just looked it up. Yes, I did. I did. Um, and I mean, if you listen to the stank guitar in that song, it's just, ugh. <laughs> that so guitar. You saw me. her live in 2012, right? Did you just say that? Yes, I got to see her. Um, she did, she added Johannesburg as uh, one of the cities on her number ones tour and it was at the very last moment and as soon as that was added that date those dates were added i reached out to a lot of my friends and said to them hey do you want to go to this janet jackson concert with me and at the time i had enough money to you know purchase tickets for me and my friends oh wow but a lot of people understanding that i love janet jackson so much kind of felt as that they they couldn't repay me <laughs> if I bought tickets for them to go and watch Janet. And so when people chose not to go and watch the concert with me, I went to both days of the Janet Jackson concert. So I watched her on consecutive days while wow. she was in Johannesburg. That's some dedication. That's how much right I there. love her. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're talking to the person who is proud to say um, that I've seen every Carly Rae Jepsen concert on Dutch ground, so I totally get what you're what you're what you're saying. Um, that is wicked. <laughs> I mean, in all fairness, it's only been two shows, but still, I like to brag about it. Um, <laughs> so, um, if we're going to talk about your performance arts, what were some high highs, some deep lows? The the high highs have have really been a, as a result of some personal deep lows. So in, in 2014, I founded the Queer Shorts Showcase Festival, which is a social justice festival that um, we produce LGBTQ-themed theatrical work with the hope of using that as a, a platform to catapult people into dialogue. Right. around matters pertaining to gender and sexual orientation. So we're not pro-queer, we're not anti-queer, but we recognize that um, so many people don't get to talk things through and we have so many people living and navigating the world based on assumptions that are also imported and regurgitated to the point where people have opinions when they're not their own. You... So that was why I founded uh, the Queer Short Showcase Festival. What do you mean with not pro-queer, not anti-queer? Like, what's what's there to be anti about? So, and that's the thing, is that um, in, in the subject matter that we would put together, for example, one of the shows that uh, we produced for um, QSS had us interrogating, we had a character who was not themselves queer-identifying, Right. And it, it was a family setting. So you had the parents of the child who were already saying, look, look we see something. We're not quite sure. We're not going to rush you or push you into anything. But please know that should you tell us that you're queer identifying, we're here for you. But because of how systemic um, homophobia is, the child had already internalized homophobia. Right. Yeah. To the point where now you they weren't 
they were resisting what the parents were saying. And very often we never get to hear stories like that where you've got accepting parents um, or you're, you've got a, an inclusive, a space that wants to be as welcoming to a queer person as possible, yet because the person doesn't identify as queer or because the person already has a difficult relationship with conceptualizing queerness, they then see the outside world as forcing them to be something that they're not. And of course, you know, we all go through different versions of am I or am I not? Should I or should I not? And I just wanted to use that opportunity to say not all queer people because again, there's this idea that as a queer identifying person, once you settle within your queer identity, you go on this war against the rest of the world so that the world can accept you. Whereas sometimes it's the inverse. Sometimes it's the world being ready for you and you just not being ready yet for yourself. And if we don't give space for such conversations to be had, people feel as though they need to be ready to be their full true selves immediately rather than going through the process of um, really settling in within their skin as and when they understand themselves. That strong internalized queer phobia that you mentioned, is that something autobiographical? No. So thankfully enough, it was, um, as I said, so part of the, the highs come from some really great lows. And some of those lows were when I had to confront whether or not, um, to some degree, there, there was a, a sense of confronting whether I had, I had not given myself a chance to really imagine myself beyond really just saying, well, you know, I've, I've never had a problem with myself. So has it just been too easy for me to right. sit within this queer identity? Um, because again, we're told that being queer should not be natural. It shouldn't feel as a natural occurring thing to you. So in interrogating that nature, there was a sense of why do I feel as though I need to hate myself? And that kind of lowness was then the, the point where it's like, what happens for people who do hate themselves? And have we ever considered those spaces for them? Why do they hate themselves? Um, what could be given to someone in that space, even if it's just so that they can reflect um, so that they can, too, start making choices for themselves. Again, as I go back to, you know, QSS and saying that we weren't pro-queer or anti-queer, you have people who think of themselves as, you know, homo intolerant, which is what I prefer to use as opposed to homophobic. Right. Um, but you find that the intolerance is based on ignorance. And if you do not show a homophobe something that is just downright wrong and they can agree that okay this is this person is acting in the wrong way they won't be able they don't have a mirror to see that they are in and of themselves doing that to other people and so we're able to present space where for all intents and purposes somebody would cast the homophobe as the villain but for us we were saying well what happens if the homophobe comes to realize that they're homophobic and confronts that. It's not a thing of, right. oh, some queer person must die in order for the homophobe to say, oh, if only I'd been kinder to this person. But real-time self, self-assessment and saying, wait, I think this is me. And if I want this character to change, then obviously I also need to change. So how do I use what I'm learning from this moment to change myself and also 
change the space around me that might have not um, been able to tell me that I was wrong or I wasn't ready and willing to listen to the times where I was wrong and um, I could have been better and I could have done more. Do you sometimes put some autobiographical aspects into your your theater pieces? I think it would be... um, absolutely truthless if I said there isn't anything that I there isn't anything of myself in the work that I produce the there is always a portion of myself in the work that I do but the question that I always get people to ask is is it myself as I am or is it myself as through the processes that I've been through or through the the thoughts that I've explored in in learning and really crafting myself. So similarly with the the musical project Bongo Country for Chasing Jacob, if you listen to the songs, they sound as though they're relationship songs. They sa- they're songs about breakups. They're songs about betrayal. Um, I loved the fact that I managed to squeeze in a double entendre with um, the song My Body, which is about rain, because in Botswana, rain is a, a very it's a it's a vital resource we love we need it we're 75 percent desert right, and yeah. our currency is named after rain oh, really? um so in that there's uh in the song my body it talks about rain and the rainfall and waiting for the rainfall but it's also a song about water sports and golden showers <laughs> <laughs> and be able to play around with that um again it's like how do you queer the cultural space um and so with with chasing jacob i was like well we don't really have any form of kink uh, literature in our cultural space in botswana so how's about i start infusing some kink literature i am not a golden shower fan but (laughs) i thought if i could make music for people who like golden showers why shouldn't i so Part of, again, that thing of, you know, the the lows is there's a series, there's a series of solo productions that I have done over the years, which have been um, pockets of my autobiography. And in putting those pieces together, it was me processing what I was going through, but also acknowledging the fact that just because I'm going through it and I'm able to intelligize it and process it, it doesn't mean that others are able to do the same. So in learning and growing, I acknowledge that if I can have the gift of giving it to other people, uh, whether it's in the form of a song, whether it's in the form of a poem, an academic article, um, I I can and should put it forward. One, my very first musical called um, Once Upon a Life was... A, if you've seen the show Drop Dead Diva, no, I in which there's so there's an, an American show. It's called Drop Dead Diva, and uh, it's focused on this girl who was a model and really pretty much a blonde airhead, who right. then gets into a car accident with um, a plus size lawyer, and they switch bodies. So you've got, in in that show, you've got this whole thing of, oh, I used to be pretty and stereotypically gorgeous. And now I'm expected to be super smart and everything that I wasn't. And, you know, I never expected this out of my life. And I just need to, can't I just go back to being pretty? 
Um, but so in kind of Freaky Friday like, meets Legally Blonde type of situation. Yes, kind of that. Whereas with Once Upon a Life, I had put in a again, you know, there was there's a, a young queer a guy who is really just you know ticking boxes, climbing up the the corporate ladder. Right. But he has yet to really embrace his fullness. Um who then gets run over by a lounge singer who was practically just coasting on by, she had the talent, but had her own like family issues and um, just wasn't expecting the most out of herself either. And when they run into each other, he ends up going into her body and um, we watch as her ghost teaches him how to live as her for the rest of life. Um, and so in that, we start also interrogating this thing of the trans body where, yeah, you know, we've got this guy who gets into this body, but then um, as he gets into this body, there's an angel as well who's there. And it's all part of, you know, this great design by God. And the angel says, okay, there's some perks that you get and there's some things that you won't get. Um, one of the perks that, Cassie ends up having so brand new Cassie ends Mm -hmm. up getting is um, that Cassie no longer has periods right right? and you know and it's that thing of interrogating femininity and what womanhood is in a body that doesn't menstruate or looking at the relationship that one has with menstruation because again as a young person I remember quite clearly one of the things where when I learned in biology class um, how children, where children are stored before they get brought into the world. I was like, oh, shoot. Um, so this kind of means that I'm not going to be able to carry my children because up until that point, I had just expected my body to <laughs> to be able to carry a child. That's you so know. wholesome. <laughs> you know, and I was like, I want to carry a child. That's what I expect of my body, you know. Right, um, yeah. And so little things like that, where when people say, oh, but when did you know you were trans or when did you know? These are the little things where um, as part of the expectations of one's body and the expectations of the way one inhabits the world in their life, there's so many little moments that um, it would be wrong to ever say this was the dis- the most decisive moment and af- before this, I was this and after this, I was that. Um, and so in Once Upon a Life, we really explore the gamut of what does it look like to f- pursue your dreams. Um, in one of the songs in the musical is called If Only I Could Have One More Day. Well, it's actually called If Only. But right, yeah. um, the the, Opening the lyric chorus and the refrain is If Only I Could Have One More Day. And you see these two characters talking about if they were to have their own lives back again, how would they change? And the question is always, who are you living for and when are you living to become yourself? Um, And I was really honored that when my best friend came to watch the musical when it was produced in Johannesburg, she was in absolute tears. She was a wreck after the show. And of course, she didn't see it as, oh, that was about some, some kind of identity politic that I was dealing with, but she saw it as how is it possible that a person that I know and love could create such 
a a moving story that has universal appeal, but also sits at such a wonderfully personal space. And that's what I've always wanted to do with my work. Okay, but I feel like there is like there is one burning question with everything that you've done or still mm -hmm. do. Like you've you've got all of the 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 artivism, the um, writing musicals, doing all of the things we've mentioned before. How much pressure is there on you? Do you from myself? There's always yeah. there is always pressure that I put on myself, and I think the the pressure that I used to have in my youth and the pressure that I have now are they look the same, but they come from totally different sources now. Um, Because in the time of my youth, it was always doing it because I felt I needed to prove a point. Um, because again, as trans or queer folk, we're constantly told that we get things in spite of being trans or in spite of being queer. Right, And yeah. so who we are becomes the first thing that we're told we need to overcome. And, uh, you know, to to get to the point where It's weird that, you know, I always told, I tell the story of when I'd asked, well, I'd presented to the late Kofi Annan that I wanted to become the UN Secretary General and we were doing a youth and elders consultancy. And after sitting at the same table with him and being able to really engage with him and him watching me with, along with other young folk, he, at the end of the conversation, he said to me, you know, I, I think you've still got, you've got what it takes. So If that's what you want to do with your life, go after it. And we very, we undervalue how much the the endorsement of people we admire can how far that can go towards really galvanizing our dreams and our pursuits of our dreams. And so, at, before that point, I'd always been a person who achieved excellence, but it was always a thing of achieving excellence simply because. If you do not achieve excellence, then what is the point? What's the point of you being alive? Whereas later on, all of my pursuits became, I have the talent, I have the skill, I have the time, I have the desire. And even if it doesn't change anyone's life, it will change mine because I will have written that song that when I was in the shower, the tune came into my head and I thought, hey, let's... Uh, I'm seeing something here. So let right, me write yeah. the rest of the song and I make the song happen. You know, if nobody, even if nobody else gets to hear the song, I know that I've written the song and I get to enjoy it. Um, and so now the pressure is really on, as uh, the poet, the South African poet, Kolega uh, Putuma says, you owe your dreams, your courage. And for me, that is one of the things that I run with life now. Um, I, that's how I run my life. The The pressure that I have is on the level of saying, okay, if you don't do it, will you feel any way about not doing it tomorrow? And if you don't feel anything about, not everything that you think of needs to be done. So that's also things of recognizing that the process must happen. But if you really, really, if it's a burning thing, if it really must be done now, What is the point of waiting until another time? Because there is no guarantee of that other time. I'm kind of at a loss for words here, so I'm just going to go and play music. <laughs> <laughs> If I gave you my life on the limb, would you hide away? Would you give me your honesty or tell me it's 
getting late. You don't have to save me from the truth. If you got something to say, got something to say, please say it soon. Cause we both know I have to go. today um Aww. yeah i know right um let's make it a 10 hour show <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you're welcome to come on again if 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 you're interested we'll we'll see in good time um, we'll do it again so the the beauty of um quiet Korea, who is oh, right, quiet, yeah. um quiet is a from zimbabwe funnily enough <laughs> right <laughs> but yeah. is based in la and if you listen to that song you know Choir's music is, again, if you think of all the music that I've spoken about, very much that timeless music, um, dancey, but still, you know, that that bass driving it. I could definitely see myself with a playlist that has Choir in there. Yeah. Another person who was potentially going to make it into this, uh, the, the, the artists that I was thinking about to close off was Nakane, who's from South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um Again, just beautiful musicians who are making such timeless music, but really relevant in today. Um, yeah, so I just thought I'd, you know, shout out to Nakane and, and Kwae. Yeah, I actually listened to something um, earlier today where um, it's a different podcast all about musicology. And they talked about this 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 particular um, two, three, uh, 2 3 rhythm that they've got and how it all went from... Um, continental africa to the caribbean back to continental africa back to the caribbean because you know international trade routes if you know what i mean um but yeah then with that um your final question my final question how does music reflect your queerness are you sure that's a final question i feel like that's a that's a thesis all right but that's a perfect answer in and of itself and considering how long we've been recording that's not a final question that's a thesis okay yeah i think music really is in the world and universe of music uh my queerness is in that it reflects my queerness in that you know anything from acapella to 
percussion to full orchestra can all be considered music. And I, as a queer person, as a queer identifying, trans identifying person, can be anything and everything as long as I allow myself to be. And that's how music reflects my queerness. I mean, there you go. Um, I mean, this the, the question in and of itself is just a little bit of a raison d'etre to, to, you know, try and pretend we're actually figuring stuff out instead of just having, <laughs> having a nice little chat. Um, but yeah, uh, it's time to wrap up. This has been Queer Sounds. Um, if you like this podcast, go ahead, tell a friend, visit my Patreon, yada, yada, yada. Once again, um, tickets for September 19th, um, both online and in very limited amounts um, to uh, uh, so you can attend IRL. Um, the socials at Queer Sounds Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, if you want to get in touch, QueerSoundsPod at gmail.com. Uh, what else is there to plug? I've already mentioned that. Yeah, um, I guess that's about it. I want to thank you, Kat, for coming on, and I want to thank everyone else for listening. Mm-hmm.